Hey everyone, my name's Michael Kaiser. And I'm John Wilson. And welcome to another episode of Make Ours Marvel. This is episode 65 of the show. So after a nice, successful haul, I think it's time for us to retire, Mike. Yeah, it's getting it's getting pretty old hat, isn't it? Yeah, dip, 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 dip into our social security, get the Medicaid going, <laughs> you know. Someone else can take great. over. Right. We got sons. Isn't that what they're for? <laughs> That's what they're for. Sons and daughters carry yeah. the torch on after us. Yeah. No, no, we're not going no. anywhere anytime soon. It's just uh, just no. an age joke. You get no. it, guys? Because also we just can't rely on either of those children to, to do this, probably. Or at least they, not they, mine. They're still young. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that would just be horrible so homework for them. we are in, yeah, yeah, just be, just be added work. We are in August of 1964, starting a new month today, um, back on regular schedule after having our annuals in June and July. Um, so we're going to be starting out in the week of August 4th. We're going to cover all three superhero comics from August 4th. We're not going to be doing Modeling with Millie 34, Patsy Walker 117, nor Two Gun Kid 72. So we're looking forward to those. You obviously don't understand the concept of the show. (laughs) Monsters to laugh with number two also, or did you say that already? Yeah. No, I did not say that. Oh, I was looking at that today. It's not that funny, but okay. That's yeah. That's the general impression. I looked at the first one and I was like, okay, that's, that's great. It didn't last very long. No, I can see why it's just kind of like weird, but okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Stan, you have fun with that. (laughs) Seven issues. Wow. That's longer than I thought it was. Yeah. But seven like quarterly issues, so it went for like two years. Holy bananas! Yeah, yeah, that's bananas. All right, but we're no, no, we're we are going to be starting off with Daredevil four. Mm-hmm. It's been six months since Daredevil started. His fourth bi-monthly issue is on the stands, and whose uh, whose job is this one, Mike? You are the lucky sob who gets this. Am I really? Yeah. Wow. Okay. Um, I was not prepared for that. Am I ever? Am I ever prepared for it? So well, yeah, you can just wing it. You've read it five times already, probably. Yeah, maybe. No, probably not. No. Um. So here comes Daredevil, the man without fear. The world calls him the Purple Man, not Daredevil, the other guy on the cover. Mm-hmm. What is this strange power of this incredible human? A power which none are able to resist, none save Daredevil, the sensational blind swashbuckler, for reasons that are completely left unexplained. Don't miss the great new letters section of this issue. We will be, we will be missing the great new letters section. We're not going to cover that. We will. But you know what I was doing the other, or when I was reading these the other day, is noticing the titles because I never really pay attention to that. They're kind of funny. The uh, like the titles of the story. No, like uh, Let's Level with Daredevil. Oh, the titles of the mail column. Yes. They all have like their own little catchy thing. So maybe we should point that out as we come across them. But I don't really want to read the letter pages. But yeah, the one they're talking about tonight is Let's Level with Daredevil, which is, you know, ouch, kind of. And the cover, we don't usually talk about the covers very much. But I was just looking, I was like, huh, that's a pretty great cover. It's penciled by Jack Kirby. Oh, yeah. Once you say that, you can totally see the Kirby, but like the line work does not look Kirby. Like the shapes and proportions do. Mm-hmm. But like it's shaded differently. Vince Coletta inked this cover. Yeah. And, uh, They're probably, it's probably more in the st- suitable style for actually who draws the inside of the book than Kirby. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because Joe Orlando is the awe inspiring art, but Vince Coletta is the infallible inking on the inside too. So I guess he kind of 
makes that tone feel cohesive between the two. Although I have to say, like, I don't know, for some reason of all characters in comic books, Daredevil has always had a particular style or look in my brain of how he moves, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. kind of graceful dancer like in a way. So Kirby's, um, you know, big kicked up knee and a hand in your face pose for Daredevil just kind of doesn't work very well. Yeah, it, I think it works because he's falling from the building, Uh huh. but it wouldn't work for him like jumping on his own. Mm hmm. Um, and sensational story by Stanley and lots of lettering by S. Rosen. This is the, uh, daredevil menaced by the mystery of Kilgrave, the unbelievable purple man. All right. So we open up with a man with purple skin and purple clothing. He's in a bank and he goes up to the bank and says, Hey, could you, um, could you just put some hundred dollar bills in this case? Thanks. The guy's like, sure. Here you go. Have a good day. And he just walks out. And then the guy's like, wait a second, I must have lost my mind. I just gave that guy all my money. So he pushes the alarm. The police went after the purple man and they arrest him. And he's like, yeah, okay, you arrest me. I don't need a lawyer. I didn't do anything wrong. The guy gave me the money of his own accord. But the um, they call the offices of Nelson and Murdoch anyway, um, so they can defend the man accused of bank robbery. And Matt's like, I'll take that case. And you know what? We've had Karen Page working for us for six months, and she's never been in a courtroom. We should try to fix that. Come on, Karen. And um, so, yeah, so Karen's all excited, and she's going to go with with uh, Matt to the courtroom. Um, they go to the talk to the judge. They go to the jail. They see the purple man. And um, at first, Matt's like, hey, you know, what's going on? How's it going? And purple man's like, yeah, well, I don't need you because I'm leaving. Um, officer, could you come unlock this door, please? Officer's like, sure, why not? Oh, and Ms. Page, you are so lovely. Would you, would you walk with me and go with me to, you know, wherever it is I'm going? And, uh, Karen's like, sure, I'd love to. So he can just, like, tell people what to do, and they go with him. Daredevil's like, what the even? It's like I can feel his will pulling at my will, but somehow I'm able to resist it. He goes after the purple man, tries to stop in the streets. Purple man's like, hey, um... Everybody, can you can you just like stop Daredevil so I can go, I can leave? And like the crowd starts pummeling on Daredevil while the purple man and Karen just have a nice little walk away. And Karen's like, you told everyone to pummel Daredevil. Shouldn't I pummel Daredevil too? He's like, no, no, no. You come along with me. Daredevil gets away from the crowd. He's like, whew, that was crazy. Goes back home, goes to see Foggy in the office. And Foggy's like, you let him walk away with Karen? Why didn't you stop him? Uh, sure enough, you would have let him go, blah, blah, blah. And he says a few things that are just, just rude enough. And Matt's like, oh, but you know what? He can't stop Daredevil. <laughs> so um, Purple Man goes to a local gym. And is like, hey, are you strong guys? Y'all want to work for me now? And they're like, yeah, let's work for you now. And he goes to a hotel and says, could you clear everybody out of your top luxury suites? We're going to live there now. And the guy's like, um, sure, we can do that. So Kill, uh, Kilgrave the Purple Man sets up a house in the luxury suites of a hotel. He's got lots of muscly bodyguards. He's got Karen Page there to keep him company. And um, Matt Murdock realizes that everyone is doing all of this of their own free will. So there's no law against it. He's going to have to try to... Con- 
convict or, you know, get evidence on Purple Man another way. So he goes back to the first issue of continuity and decides to repeat an act of sticking a tape recorder in his billy club, along with, check this out, a huge tarp big enough to wrap around a full-grown adult person. (laughs) That's going to wrap up and spring out of his billy club. So, yeah. Um, (laughs) So Daredevil goes after the Purple Man, and um, they fight, and he beats up the strong guys, and Karen's just kind of there watching the whole thing. So Purple Man's like, fine. He uh, The fight has by this time moved out onto the roof. You can't stop me. You won't do what I say. Well, you'll protect her. Karen, step to the edge of the roof. And if when I give the order, you step off. So Karen's just standing there ready to commit suicide. And at this point, Kilgrave's like, now it's time to give you my backstory. <laughs> so he tells a story about how he um, was working in like where nerve gases were stored and he decided to steal some stuff and he got into a, a gunfight with the guards and um, some of the chemicals poured on him and made him purple. And he realized he could get anybody to do whatever he told them to. And then I was like, thanks, buddy. Thank me for what? For saying all of this stuff on the tape recorder. So now he has enough evidence to convict Purple Man. He grabs Karen, runs off. Purple Man comes back down, tries to reenact the exact same scene from earlier. Everybody get Daredevil. And Daredevil uses his billy club to eject that giant tarp over Kilgrave because he figures if um, if he was subjected to a chemical that has changed the color of his skin, then maybe his power is coming from his skin. So if I cover his skin, it should be good. And yeah, he was right. So that's the end. Um, Foggy apologizes to Matt for being rough with him earlier because obviously he couldn't have stopped anything from happening. And uh, and. At some point during the story, Foggy said a few things that made Matt think, oh, wait a second. Does Foggy like Karen? Oh, no. Now I really can't tell her I like her. Oh, no. The end. So, like, uh, Purple Man is not the only mind control person in the Marvel Universe, of course, mm-hmm. or any comic universe. But for some reason, he's always been one of the most frightening to me. And I think it's because one, he's just always on. It's not something he actively does, you know. I, I mm-hmm. think he just talks, and you are compelled to do what he says if he says to do anything. And also, I I think his low key um, goals in life are somehow more frightening than when the person's a megalomaniac trying to take over the universe. Right. Um, com- combine that with the fact that he just is totally chill and laid back, and yeah does not have a forbidding aspect about him. Um, he's just like, okay, you know, whatever, do this thing for me now. Yeah, he'll just, um, he'll just take money and take your house and take your wife. And that just seems far more horrifying than someone with, like, brain powers who's trying to take over Florida or something. Right, right. I thought that was one of the more compelling aspects of David Tennant's portrayal in the Daredevil in the Jessica Jones series mm-hmm. is in the scenes where he's master of his element, he is totally chill. Mm-hmm. It's only whenever something doesn't go his way that he starts to get upset, and it's just it's frightening because they'll just say, "Okay, Jessica, could you come here? Yeah, can you can you kiss me? Yeah, and uh, and it just happens." Mm-hmm. Um, but speaking of David Tennant, just to highlight the tonal differences between the Silver Age and some more modern incarnations like the Jessica Jones series, um, 
Here is the opening caption describing Kilgrave. It says that he is possibly the most offbeat, far out, ding dong, rootin' tootin', crackerjack <laughs> supervillain you just ever did see. Oh my gosh. That's actually kind of a horrible description for the character in this story. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's there's nothing the rootin' and tootin' about him. Yeah, there's nothing. I don't know who that describes. I can't yeah. think of a single person we've covered so far. It's like, Maybe it's like Montana. <laughs> whoever was scripting this was like, oh, kids these days talk in different kind of slang that I've never heard of. Well, why don't you write down all the words and I'll just use them in this caption. Right. Far out ding dong root and toot and cracker jack. Like you had to just get it all. Um, I do really like Kilgrave. I do really like the more sinister portrayals of him. Mm -hmm. I have heard people talk about how, no, he was just a guy who wanted people to do what there's all this, you know, sexual assault stuff is all just like making things dark for dark sake. And I'm kind of like, okay, yeah, but I've known a lot of men. I've known a lot of men. And if they were able to make women do whatever they wanted, I know, no, that's what's going to happen. Well, that's another aspect of this character is like, even if I'm being true to myself, it's like, if I had this power, would I never be tempted to do anything with it? Come on. Right. You would be. It'd be really hard not to end up being a horrible jerk. There's the um, the first issue of Harbinger. The main hero of that comic series starts out the series in a bad place and he goes back to his hometown and he runs into his old crush. And he does have the power to like coerce people's minds. Mm -hmm. And he totally puts her under his willpower and, you know, assaults her off panel and stuff. And she is so, you know, once she finally realizes what happened, she reacts the way you might completely, you know pissed off, upset, hurt, and afraid, and, you know, attacks them and everything else. Um, so it's just like, it's just one of those things that, you know, guys can be terrible people. And if you give them more power to be more terrible, ugh, human <sighs> beings in general, but just in the context of the purple man. I also call hogwash to that idea because when he steals Karen in this issue, I mean, it's not overt because it's the 60s, but like that frightened me. Like, yes. like she's just there to be with Matt and he's like, hey, Karen, you're pretty. Come with me. And she leaves with him and we don't even know what happens to her. You are uh, very correct. And it's it the felt 60s. creepy. It felt creepy to me. It was kind of like, you know, getting married is is an equation for. <laughs> yeah, it's a euphemism. It's a euphemism for uh, something else that we talk about. But yeah, I don't know what happened to Karen. And they're not going to say any of that because it's 64. But you can't like read between the lines on this a little bit. No, that's true. And he, what does he do? He gets a swanky hotel room. Mm-hmm. And she's just yeah. hanging out with him? You are so right. There's there's definitely some room to call baloney on that interpretation because he definitely takes a woman in stride with this story. Yeah. And they're just telling a 1964 version of that story. Yeah, he steals her and takes her will. So how is that not any different, really? Yeah, yeah. Um, Daredevil still has his evil sense from issue two. He uses it on page <sighs> four. I seem to strength sense a strange, sinister presence already as they get close to Kilgrave's room. Well, okay. So in this case, now we need to talk about this because you said it in the summary and it's true. They kind of write it like, like Kilgrave does have a sway over him, but he resists it. Mm -hmm. So how is this working? They don't really specify how it's working or not working. Like, yeah. is, is it because he's blind that he can resist it? Or is it because he's the hero? And so he can resist it or the, what's the, the deal? The one, the one captioning I remember seeing is that because he's like disciplined himself so well, uh -huh. he's like worked out a lot, I guess, <laughs> that he like has a fine control over his mind or whatever. But I, I mean, there's only so far that you can go with that. 
So it says, although ordered to remain behind, Matt Murdock does not have the reactions of an ordinary human. With his ever every sense razor sharp, his indomitable will shrugs off Kilgrade's command, and as the alarm is finally sounded, dot, 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 he becomes Daredevil. So, yeah, I, I thought it'd be easier out to just say that, you know, you have to be able to see Kilgrave in order to obey him because he's purple. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Purple has something to do with it. But it seems like they're suggesting that he's just a really willed, will-powered person. And then at the end, when he covered up Kilgrave's skin, I was like, okay, well, you know, hardly any of Daredevil's skin is uncovered. Maybe there's something about, you know, the pheromones going from skin to skin. But then I was like, but wait a second. Most people walk around with nothing but their face and hands uncovered. So right. That- yeah, and they didn't say anything about the, the the receiver's skin. It's only Purple Man's skin. Plus, he ordered Matt Murdock around, not Daredevil, so that doesn't really work anyway. Oh, you're right. You're right. Yeah. So yeah, it's a, it's weird. I don't really like the nebulous reason for Matt being immune. That said, I never knew he was, and I wonder if they continue that down the road or if this is a throwaway thing idea. That's a good point because I would like for them to be for there to be some sort of ability for Matt to co- co- succumb to this. Otherwise. There's no reason to bring the character back. Essentially, especially if like, I mean, I haven't read all this stuff, but down the road, like Jessica Jones and Luke Cage and Daredevil and all that are all kind of the same little pocket universe with, uh, so I'm wondering if Daredevil is awfully useful if he continues to be resistant to Purple Man. Right. But I don't know. Speaking of things that come back, I'm glad it actually came back, but then immediately left is that stupid backpack he established last <laughs> year. Yeah. Because didn't we say, like, this is a dumb idea to go around as a superhero with your wallet in your backpack? And he figures that out real fast when the mob tries to kill him and they, like, rip it open. And he's like, oh, boy, they almost got my driver's license. That was a stupid idea. Yeah, we probably shouldn't do that. Probably shouldn't do that. So that was the first and last of the backpack. Two issues. Um, Oh, wow. He is gone for a really long time after this. Mm. Purple Man's not back until Daredevil 88. Oh, boy. So I guess, you know... They kind of thought the same way we did. It's going to be kind of hard to bring him back if Daredevil's just immune. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I remember you didn't like that hood. I thought it was funny where they tore it off. It is pretty silly. Silly idea. Um, they talk about how his power um, is weaker as he gets farther away or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I sense the angry mood fading from the crowd. That means Kilgrave's power can only be effective when he, isn't, when he himself is near. The further he went from the crowd, the more his spell weakened. So um, in the TV show, I seem to remember being like a time thing, like maybe a combination of being close and also time going by. Yeah, because they were never sure who was under his spell, so they'd have to like wait 24 hours or something. Right, right. Because he'd have like undercover moles that were plant like as soon as you see this person, kill them kind of thing. And they had no idea. So, yeah, it was not a distance issue. It was a time issue in the Netflix. And was this really Matt's first indication that Foggy likes Karen? Um, well, he's if so, he's awfully blind. Ha <laughs> But because uh, we kind of know that Foggy likes Karen. Yeah, I just didn't know if if I was reading into it in the previous issues or whatever. I guess this is the first time he's commented that, like, Foggy's heart is racing like someone in love. He must love her. Right. Only love makes hearts race like that. Yeah, not just, like, stress and anxiety that somebody that works for them and that they are attached to has has been kidnapped by a man who can make them do whatever they want. I mean, to be fair, I can't hear hearts either way, so maybe there is a difference. But, yeah. So what do you think of the idea of, like, I'm going to back off because Foggy likes her? I think that's pretty cool of a friend to do that, I suppose. It is cool of a friend to do that if it were the only 
like thing like this, but like, I feel just like so many of these relationships are caked in like ridiculous reasons for not working. Uh Like at least with Peter and Betty, we can see they're not working because their communication is horrible. Yes. But like with Dawn and Jane, you know, he can't tell her he loves her because he feels like a lame doctor. And also Odin says no. Mm -hmm. Um, And Matt, you know, was he saying because he's blo- oh Cyclops can't tell Jean he likes her because of his cursed cursed eyes and he's a leader now so he has to be better than them right yeah Matt can't tell you know Karen he likes her probably shouldn't anyway because he's her employer but you know setting that aside <laughs> um, yeah that's a good point but yeah I guess letting your friend pursue a relationship that you're interested in is a pretty good friend move however if I know Matt he's gonna screw that up but we'll see. <laughs> That is definitely what Matt is. Matt is good at being bad at stuff. I think this one panel, he's like, yep, I'm going to back off because Foggy likes her. Then you turn the page and he's in bed with Karen. So that would not surprise me one bit. Because <laughs> that's how Matt rolls. But um, I thought I think the pair, uh, the powers, how the powers work and how they're getting described is for the most part starting to level out. Mm-hmm. Like on page 14, it kind of describes his powers as he's moving through the city. And that felt very Daredevil. Um, and I really liked the art on that page, just him moving around the city, especially that last panel that has his like shadow up against mm-hmm. the building because of the sunset. Yeah, I didn't find the power descriptions nearly as annoying as the other three issues. So they're kind of backing off a little bit on him. I do think that on page 15, where he can sense which way north is because of magnetic attraction mm. that that that's a little bit less standard but for the most part i think it also said he can sense radio waves or something at some point but i guess that makes sense i don't know i don't uh, know how you would i don't understand i don't know either cool call back to the issue number one though he actually just pretended he had a recorder in that one to mm-hmm. psych them out and in this one he actually decides hey that was a good story i made up i should actually do it Right. Um, but I'm with you. I call shenanigans on like a huge body sized tart being stuck in his like cane of never ending holding or ever holding or whatever. Right. Bottomless cane of holding. <laughs> Bottomless cane of holding. Yeah. Kind of crazy. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a bit much. Um, and as we get toward the end, um, Karen doesn't realize that her female intuition is a superpower. It's on the last page at the bottom. She's like, for some strange reason, I sometimes feel he sees more than any of us. I guess I'm just a silly female. Yeah. Number one, sigh. Just yeah. a silly female, whatever. Yeah. But also, she has this sense about Matt, and she should know that female intuition is a superpower in comics. She's if not real life that. sometimes. But uh, <laughs> she's also met Daredevil. So part of me wonders if that's just still a connection for her. Because remember, she almost he almost got outed. The last time. That's true. And the only other thing um, I can think of to say is he also uses his club as a boomerang, which I hope he never does again. Right. I ended up looking up boomerangs because of that and seeing some really cool boomerang videos. But you can't just like have something at an angle <laughs> and expect it to be a boomerang. That's not how that works. How many different ways does his billy club bend? I mean, that's just it's also <laughs> it's also his cane. So this is just getting a little ridiculous. Like next issue, it's going to be I can turn this into a swan. But I did reach out to uh, J. David Weeder of Dave's Daredevil podcast. If you want to, you can call him Dave. Um, he is one of the biggest Daredevil fans that I know. Uh, and he said that Purple Man is one of the first villains designed specifically to go toe-to-toe with Daredevil. He's geared toward Daredevil's strength, 
his blindness, ironically, but it still feels like a nice try, if not quite a home run. But Kilgrave is used effectively enough to make the issue worth the reader's while. He just won't become a formidable foe until later writers acknowledge, either directly or indirectly, how creepy his power set actually is. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they can't go too far with it here. But but it's definitely implied that he could. He could. Yeah, I had never thought about what you said about this being a 1964 version of the modern ideas, but it, it, it definitely fits. Um, they just didn't ever say anything to make you think that because they don't want eight-year-olds to get worried. Um, yeah. But yeah, this was, I mean, I'm not sure that Daredevil has found his own identity yet, but I do like what the last couple of issues are doing as far as stories. I feel like he's getting closer. Yeah. I think it was a little, well, the first one was just a big fat origin that, that felt totally right because that's the origin. Mm-hmm. And then I can't even remember what two was. Two is the one we hated. It was the Electro issue. Right, right. Oh, yeah. That was horrible. Three, I liked a lot of the Owl until he turned into James Bond villain. So this one was Mm -hmm. like the first, I think, pretty solid all the way through book. Yeah. Yeah, definitely solid all the way through. I really enjoyed it. Um, Which moves us over to the land of Asgard and the journey into mystery. Journey into mystery, or otherwise known as the Mighty Thor, number 109. We have covered 109 of these. No. Okay. Uh, October 64 is when this was cover dated and on sale in August, as we already know, because we said that already. And it's called, well, it's not called, but it's featuring the menace of Magneto, the most powerful of the evil mutants, as Scarlet Witch stands behind him. But she's not evil. Anyway, uh, it's called When Magneto Strikes. It's written by Stan Lee, the monarch of the Marvel Age, at the pinnacle of his power. I actually think that's not wrong. Illustrated by Jack Kirby, the Prince of Pageantry, at the height of his titanic talent. Also agree. Inked by Schick Stone, the Dean of Line Design, at the peak of his prowess. And lettered by Sam Rosen, the Sultan of Spelling, at the little table in his studio. I shared this one with Lily, and she got a real kick out of it. She, of course, we read a lot of these early Marvels when she was young, and she loved the uh, the the mockery of the letterer because the letterer is writing it, and in 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 our head canon, the letterer is coming up with all of these little descriptions. And just in case you guys are wondering, how on earth can Magneto be in a Thor book? Uh, there's a little caption that says, "By special arrangement with the publishers of X Men magazine." <laughs> Anyway. Which is, of course, themselves. Yes, which they actually own up to this time, they say in the parentheses, namely ourselves. Um, Okay, so it starts with Thor, and he's at, like, an exhibit of superheroes. Like, somebody went around and created a bunch of statues of all the awesome superheroes, which include Thor, the Avengers, the Fantastic Four, even around the corner, which they don't show Spider-Man, Daredevil, and the X-Men, apparently. Thor's like, thank you, I'm used to this, and he flies away, because he's a god. Meanwhile, it cuts to... A bonkers submarine that's owned by the Brotherhood of Evil. It's bonkers because it's part submarine, but then for a periscope, it has like a tree because it's kind of reminds me of like um, um, uh, Goldfinger where Bond's swimming around with a duck on his head. Same idea. They blend in because they have a water tree popping out of uh, their submarine. And they're there because Magneto is desperately hunting for the X-Men. And he thinks he found a trace of their uh, uh, um, 
energies, I guess he says, or something like that. So he sends everybody but himself off because he's the most powerful. So Quicksilver and Wanda characteristically reluctantly agree. Mastermind and Toad are annoying, and they, of course, agree. And they all take off in their this little submarine and leave Magneto to his own devices. He gets bored and starts talking about how amazing he is. And in order to feel amazing, he sits in his big magnet chair, and essentially attacks the entirety of New York just for fun, I guess, with his magnet stuff. And all of a sudden, like all these metal objects, cars and signs and lights and stuff are just flying around. So uh, Don Blake, who's treating a kid at his doctor at the doctor's office with uh, Jane, sees this like because all his scissors and stuff start flying around too. He looks out the window, sees everything flying around. It's like, what the heck is going on? That's weird. Uh, Jane, hey, you know, I know we had a date tonight, but this has really stressed me out, so I better go home and calm my nerves. And she's like, oh, okay, we don't want anything, any inconvenience to stop you from dating me. And she rolls her eyes. Anyway, he turns to Thor, laments about how Odin won't let him date her, even though he was just about to date her, and follows the magnetic waves that are making all this weirdness happen with his hammer, because his hammer's awesome. He finds the tree, periscope tree, just sitting in the ocean, um, realizes very quickly it's not a real tree, because he finds a hatch, opens the hatch, slams a, the submarine door open with a big womb, that's the sound effects, not a womb like a baby, but like W-H-O-O-M exclamation point. Uh, door flies open. Magneto's like, who dares? <laughs> He's like, I dare. He's like, who are you? And he like uses his magnet power to throw the door at Thor. And Thor's like, was that supposed to scare me? That's nothing. And he's like, I sense in you great power, uh, whoever you are. You must be an evil mutant like me. And Thor's like, explain this concept. So Magneto walks him around his submarine, which is full of, like, stolen treasures and stuff. And he's like, now, if you join me and swear total allegiance to everything I say and do, you too can be a brotherhood of evil mutant. And he's like, I am not an evil mutant and I have no interest in you. And he swats, like, the the offered coffee out of his hand. So that, of course makes Magneto mad. He tries to wrap him in metal, but that's just like paper to Thor. So he gets out and he throws his hammer. Magneto, I don't know if he controls the hammer. It's kind of a, uh, 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 ambiguous. He either controls the hammer or he just stops it in his track with some metal metallic or I think uh, it's magnetism, mag- magnetism, magic waves that he does. So Thor is really annoyed with this guy. Um, and just gets into a fist fight with him instead. Kind of forgets about his hammer uncharacteristically. And Magneto like pushes him back into a room um, and tries to like use his magnetic powers to crush him with metal. But again, just paper to Thor. So this is freaking uh, uh, Magneto out. So he like closes the doors and tries to lock him in the room, which at this point is when Thor realizes, oh, crud, I haven't touched my hammer in 60 seconds. And he turns into Don Blake. Magneto can't see this, of course, and he thinks Thor's in the room. So he tries to kill Thor without seeing him or without letting him out of the room by, like, throwing rivets at him and all this stuff, which, of course, are mortally dangerous to Don Blake. He dodges desperately, tries to save his life, finds a hole that Thor made earlier and crawls through it. Uh, Magneto uses his awesome computers to try and track uh, Don Blake down. Don Blake desperately dodges left and ducks right and like gets through all this metal stuff attacking him until he finally um, can find his stick. Now, also while this is going on, the rest of the Brotherhood 
apparently have found the X-Men, but unfortunately they also found that the X-Men found them back and the X-Men are kind of attacking them off panel and they're calling Magneto like, please come help. And he's like, I'm busy right now. Just come back to the base. Um, And just then Thor shows up again. He's super mad now, starts wailing on Magneto with his hammer. Magneto thinks to himself, you know, I can only take about two of these punches before he's going to kill me. Um, at which point it becomes moot because he can mag, or Magneto learns that Thor can also just suck the magnetism right out of him or suck the magnetism right out of his shield. So he does that with his Uru hammer and picks him up and basically tosses him across the room. Magneto has an escape trap, so he flies through it. He uh, sets up a bomb hoping that Magneto or hoping that Thor will follow him. But before that can happen, Iceman's there. And freezes it because the Brotherhood led the X-Men back to the submarine, kind of stupidly. Um, so now Magneto's running from the X-Men. Thor pops his head down to find Magneto, and all he sees is a frozen bomb. And he's like, what's this about? And then he pops his head out the window of the submarine, and he sees like a uh, another boat chasing Magneto with a big X on it. So he's like, okay, well, that was weird. And decides, I have no idea where Magneto went or what happened, but I'm just going to destroy his submarine, which he does because he's... The Thunder God Thor smacks it. Uh, Magneto gets away, talking about how awesome he is because somehow he can still believe that. Um, And then we cut to Don Blake showing up at um, Jane Foster's apartment and saying, you know, I feel better. I'm really sorry I uh, 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 canceled her date and I really missed you. And she said, hey, if you think butter me up is going to work, you're right. And then she feeds him and they look out the balcony um, holding each other. The end. This was their first date, wasn't it? I'm trying to understand how they can have a date because one of his rules is not just don't tell her I'm Thor, but also you can't date her, right? I don't know about you can't date her. He just can't oh. like, confess his love to her. He can't marry her. Can't euphemism her. Okay. Well, then, yeah, this is their first date. Yeah. And he backs out on it. Like, he wimps out on their first date. Well, New York is being attacked, so... He had to do I something. Know. He had to do. He. I, I mean, if he didn't, if he just went on a date with her, we'd be disappointed. Also, I felt her upset was justified. Well, sure. From her point of view, she's she's getting bettied. <laughs> you don't want to get bettied. <laughs> um. So yeah. So I thought this was kind of fun. Totally. Um. Thor and Magneto are both pretty powerful, and I I thought they went head to head pretty well. And and it's not a matchup you see that often or think about. Really, it's not. It's really, really not. Um, and did I read it? Do I remember right? It was kind of a almost a standoff until the X Men show up. Well, I mean, I guess it, I felt like Thor was winning in the end, and he was going to run away and do like a trick, dirty bomb on him, which may or may not have worked. But yeah, that's right. That's right. Because that's what Iceman froze was the bomb. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if it if it wasn't for the Don Blake stuff, I think Thor would have shown had a better showing. But that kind of set him back a little bit. Are we going to go with all that sculpture at the beginning being Alicia Masters' work? Is she the only sculpturist in the Marvel Universe? It doesn't say, but what I do find interesting is that it's a celebration of heroes. Mm-hmm. And he mentions that they also have one of the X-Men. So we're still not at the point where X-Men are evil, stinky mutants, I guess. You are right. They have been pretty well lauded. We've only had a few indications. I think when the Toad won that race mm-hmm. um, illicitly, that was something against mutants. But... Generally speaking, we have, people have not yet been downing mutants. Uh, whenever Hank took his foot off in the um, in the cafe, took his foot off, took his shoe off in the cafe, um, everyone was kind of surprised, and they're like, "Wow, dig those crazy, you know, 
whatever mm. they said. Yeah. Now, do the X-Men, not that this is an X-Men book, so, but here's a tangent. Do, do the X-Men advertise that they're mutants or do they just, everybody just think they're superheroes? I can't remember. <sighs> That's a good question. I don't know. I'm going to pay attention to that for our next X-Men. Yeah, yeah. Because, well, I mean, what they've done to interact with the public has been pretty limited so far. So, yeah, I just, I, I don't know. Yeah. So maybe they'll get outed at some point, and then they then they don't get statues made after them anymore. Yeah. Um, speaking of X Men, there's the part where like all of the cars and everything just start rising. That's mm-hmm. never explained. I don't know if Magneto just like wanted to show off and sneak away, which seems kind of off brand for him. But it also really felt like X Men: The Last Stand. Whenever Jean Grey is like levitating all the stuff because she can't control her powers. You mean never explain like why he does this? Yeah. Yeah, I didn't get that either. I think I think he's just being uh, just showing off. Yeah, it's just kind of weird because he's usually when he's showing off, he's pretty diva about it. Well, he says he's experimenting, so maybe he's just having some downtime. He's like, "Let's see how many cars I can lift 500 miles from here." <laughs> or something. He, he's got this big magnet chair, which is just funky. And I will lift to 500 miles. Um, Did you get that little joke on page four where? Don's like, okay, Timmy, because he's treating some kid. He's like, next time you use your throw the football, don't snap your arm. Use a smooth follow through. And then Jane's like, how did you become such an expert on throwing footballs? I wasn't sure if that was like them nudge, nudge, wink, winking that he throws his hammer all the time so he knows how to do it. I did not get that until you started talking about it. I was like, oh, that's his hammer, isn't it? Yeah. That's some pretty subtle and clever stuff. I like that. Yeah. I thought that was kind of funny. So page, I guess it's eight. I guess Magneto doesn't believe in gods because he's like, only another mutant would have enough power to find me here. He hasn't run into Doctor Strange. He doesn't know anything about anything. He's just like, there's people and there are mutants. I That's one of the reasons I liked this encounter is because like usually you think of Magneto, you think of, you know, humans versus mutants and mutants who love humans and mutants who hate humans. But it's like they don't really factor in the fact that in this world there's also gods and inhumans and you know, various other things. How do those play out in Magneto's head when it comes to him ruling the world because he's superior? Because, mm-hmm. you know. Really they don't. Yeah, they really don't. And so here's Thor standing there. He doesn't know who Thor is. I also like that Thor doesn't really know what a Magneto is or maybe even a mutant because he's like, only another mutant would have the power to find me here. And Thor's like, explain yourself, Mass One. I shall hear you out. Like, what is this concept? I don't even understand what you mean. Right. He even starts like pouring Thor some wine. <laughs> Yeah. Now, 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 okay. Just to sort of see what kind of different readings we can get here. He starts explaining, join my mutant brotherhood, Mm -hmm. and we're going to conquer the human race. Mm -hmm. Thor's reply is, Thor is no evil mutant. Now, is Thor saying, I'm not an evil mutant, aka brotherhood person, or I am not a mutant, an evil thing? Uh, oh, do you get the distinction? Okay. I'm making? Yes, I do. Now I didn't No, I did not think of it that way. I also thought maybe Magneto introduced himself as an evil mutant because sometimes he's weird like that, but I don't think he did. No, I've been watching Magneto so far has never used the word evil. Okay. It's just brotherhood of mutants or mm-hmm. something, or they don't even call themselves that. Um, I, I just assumed he meant evil like, cause this guy's evil. Or like, or maybe my other assumption is he doesn't know what a mutant is, so maybe he assumes all mutants are like Magneto. I'm not. Right. A, I'm is not it, an evil mutant. I'm not an evil goblin. I'm not an evil giant, frost giant. Right. 
Because if we just read the words at face value, okay, Thor has no clue what mutants are, right? Yeah. He says, this is what it has to do with you. Join my mutant brotherhood. Uh-huh. Pledge allegiance to Magneto. You shall share my triumph when I conquer the human race. And he says, arrogant villain, Thor is no evil mutant. Right. So to be fair to Thor, Magneto does not introduce the concept of an alternate option. Right. Jo- join the good mutants. There's good mutants out there you could choose to join too, but pick me instead. He just says, join my mutant army. So Thor's probably thinking, oh, there's this horrible mutant outbreak full of evil mutants. And so now Thor has this colored idea of what a mutant is in his brain. Yeah. It'd be cool if he was like a mutant racist for the next 20 years just because of this one conversation. (laughs) Cool is one word for that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, just a character beat, you know. Thor, why do you hate mutants so much? Because they're trying to take over everything. No, that actually would be... An interesting way of playing things. Magneto is the only mutant he knows about. Mm-hmm. And so he thinks they're mutant. Yeah. Um, pretty sure Magneto controls the hammer out of magnetism. We have actually seen the Uru hammer subject to magnetism in another story. So um, I'm, I'm down with that. It just, I can't remember what it says to make me wonder if that's what it was. Magneto says a flying hammer suddenly stops held by a power beyond mere description. Yeah, I guess that's, a, that's just his power. Yeah. Where's that panel you Twittered? Because I want to give you credit for thinking it, but I totally agree with you. Uh, about Hitler or Nazis or... Um, yeah, where is that? He punches Thor and so it's got to be... Oh, it's it's not until page 15. Oh, okay. Um, which we, can, we can go there if, if you want, but I had a couple other things. Um, I like that Thor loses his hammer and like is Don Blake for a while mm-hmm. and like has to figure that out. Yeah, I like that um, Magneto annoyed him so much that like he didn't even remember he lost his hammer. Mm-hmm. Just wasn't paying attention. He's like, I'm going to just pummel you with my fist then because you're just so annoying. And page 11, that second panel where he's like Thor and turns into Don as he's running forward. Mm-hmm. That's pretty great. Yeah, I like that Magneto, if- Magneto doesn't care that there's this random stick. Oh, I was going to say random stick, but I also want to point out, is this a rule breaker? I think we decided this is the way the rules should work. Yeah, but it didn't before. Yeah, that the hammer should turn into a walking stick whenever he changes back to Dawn. Yeah, but before uh, before uh, this, it didn't, and he just had to touch the hammer and turn back to Thor again. Oh, you're right, you're right. You're so right. they're changing it, but that's okay. I like this better. It makes more sense. Right. And he can pick up the stick, Magneto, so it's not, an, it's not a worthy issue with the stick. Um, they, the, the page... Okay, for one thing, page 13... Magneto does not have any fingernails, and it's really gross. <laughs> the anchor just forgot him, maybe. Right. Um, the Brotherhood call in, and they tell Magneto, hey, the X-Men must be within a half a mile because Cyclops is shooting at us. And I'm like, Cyclops can hit you from half a mile? I, I don't know what the decision was behind not showing the X-Men, but I, I don't know if it was just you know them trying to save time or something, but I actually think it was a cool effect. Well, I figured they probably just couldn't pay the actors that day. Right, right. Yeah, they, they, they had to arrange it with the X-Men magazine, and maybe they didn't get the rights to to use the characters themselves. But, like, for those who haven't read the story, like, you basically just see, like, Cyclops' blast, but not Cyclops. Or You see, yeah, and you see, uh, you see something turn to ice. You never see Iceman. No, and he talks, like, off-panel and stuff. So, And you just see, like, the tail end of their submarine and stuff. So it's like they had this whole adventure that we never saw because we're seeing everything from Thor's point of view. Kind of. It was a cool idea. Yeah, it's neat. Um, even though Uru is subject to magnetism, when Thor holds the hammer, 
he can then control magnetic forces. Mm-hmm. So I guess that's where the magic is working into play, because in page 15, he sucks up the magnetic field. And this is my new favorite Thor thing, because this the last time we read Thor, he hit King's force field so hard that it flickered and let them shoot him. Mm-hmm. And now he's hitting Magneto so hard that Magneto's like screaming in his thought balloon that he can't take many more punch hits like this. I don't know. Because his magnetic force field isn't strong enough yet. Yeah, I love that. I think Thor's to just go around pummeling things as hard as he can. It reminded me me of that scene in the first Thor movie where he basically breaks the bridge. That's good stuff. Oh, yeah. Just hit, hit, thud, thud. But, yeah. Okay, so the thing you were talking about is here on page 15. Mm -hmm. Thor picks up Magneto, and I think both panels go together well. He says, what say you now, Magneto? Where are the boastful words of the mutant who plans to conquer the human race? Throughout history, there have been many who have felt they were superior to mankind, but always they were destroyed while humanity endures. Yeah. And I was just like, okay, 1964, in very recent memory, the person who was trying to conquer and enslave humankind was Hitler with his Aryan race. Totally. Yeah, this has got to be a World War II there are always men like you reference. Yes. There have always been men like you. Yeah. Which, you know, we don't have any background on Magneto right now, but he basically just called Magneto Hitler, which is not a great thing. Cause yeah, Magneto doesn't love Hitler. Um, but it's also not far wrong. Yeah. He's turned into his own worst enemy. Um, I, I'm going to admit to some shoddy, uh, invaders knowledge, but does Thor ever fight in world war two? Because I can't think of any instances, but he mu- he's around probably, or was he trapped the whole time? Um, he wasn't trapped. I just don't think he had anything to do with Earth during that time. Okay. I bet, um, I bet he guest stars at an Invaders issue. I just can't think of it off the top of my head. Yeah, that would be a great idea, but I just I just don't know if Thor is in any Invaders. But then he would know Cap, so that doesn't make sense. Hmm. I don't know. Right, right. I have to look into that. Um. So... Running out of story, we mentioned the uh, all the uh, not-quite-on-panel appearances of the X-Men. And then Magneto just kind of gets away. He wraps himself in a, in a magnetic blanket so that the X-Men can't find him. I love that he does. I love that he's running away, wrapping himself in a blanket, and talking about how awesome he is. Only Magneto can have yeah. such a horrible beatdown and still think he's great. Side note, you are not wrong. The Invaders number 33 has Thor on the cover. Oh, Wrestling cool. with Submariner. Uh, the Human Torch is there. I th- the, is the woman's name Spitfire? Yep. Uh, and I think Union Jack is yep. the guy in the... And then Captain America is on the cover with him. So... Uh-huh. Memory issues or something. Yeah, yep. I bet in the story itself they probably... Because he should know Namer too then. Anyway. He should have some knowledge of them. Now, if this is just a scant encounter, he might not care enough to remember. Yeah. But then you have to wonder why they don't remember. But, you know, they all have memory issues, so that's easy, easy to write off. I like I like Don and Jane Dayton. I hope they keep up with these little sweet moments. They're kind of fun. Yeah, it was a really sweet moment at the end. I liked that they reconciled easily. She was able to forgive him. And then she's like, you know, you look hungry. Let me make you some food. And they had some meal together. And uh, he's like, anybody ever tell you you're so wonderful? And she's like, not often enough, you silly goop. Yep. So they were they were great. He just needs to rebel against dad. Like, how big how like big, how big a deal is Odin anyway? Come on. Um, can't let this story go without saying at least one thing about the Scarlet Witch. Okay, yeah. 
She had almost nothing to do in this series. Magneto sidelines the entire Brotherhood at the beginning, tells him to go search for the X-Men. And at the end of the story, they are found by the X-Men and they're running. But there's one thing, when all the Brotherhood get in a shuttle to go look for the X-Men, she's like, it'll be a relief to get away from that evil creature for a while. If only Mastermind and the Toad weren't coming with us. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, okay, that that is so on brand for Wanda because she hates Magneto and she hates the Brotherhood and Mastermind assaulted her last time we saw her. So she really hates him. No one likes the Toad. And I was just, I was, I was down with that whole thing. That was a nice just panel altogether because then she gets threatened and then Quicksilver comes to her defense. So it's like all the character beats right there on that last panel. Yep. Um, Mastermind is also still going around randomly creating imagery that scares the crap out of everybody. He so says, it's like he I'm is the sorry, worst I roommate. was bored. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like last time, Magneto's holding a big freaking gun and he gets startled, so he shoots it. This time he's just torturing Toad with dragons or something. But it's like, dude, who wants this guy around? Right. No one likes you. Yeah. You smell. and You're swarmy Toad? and you keep hitting on people. Right. And Toad is... Toad does nothing to ingratiate himself to anybody. Nobody likes Toad. Nobody likes Mastermind. And they have to, and Wanda and Pietro have to live with them. And ugh. And nobody likes Magneto at this point. Like, there's nothing about him that's cool. No. Which is funny because he becomes one of my favorite villains at some point, but not right now. Yeah, down the road, way down the road. Yeah. All right. So speaking of Odin, there's still more to this fun issue. There's the backup Tales mm-hmm. of Asgard, home of the mighty Norse gods. Presented by the greatest names of Illo Dramatics, I guess Illustration Dramatics, Stanley right. Author, Jack Kirby Illustrator, Vince Coletta Delineator, Sam Rosen Letterer, living proof of the titanic talent which has made this series such a smashing success. I would love to know the numbers to see if that's a real thing. Um, the time, years ago, when Thor was not yet 20. The place, Asgard. It starts with Odin saying... Because you accepted a fight that I didn't grant permission for, you are banished. And everyone's like, that seems harsh. He's like, silence, I am Odin, and you will all listen to me, for I am king. Then it cuts to, apparently, Loki has a cousin named Arkin the Weak. That's not great. He kind of looks like (laughs) Loki. He kind of has that same devilish, impish face and stuff, but different colors. He's more of a red-purple guy. Anyway... Arkin loves Norda, who's described as the normal size queen of the mountain giants. Kind of weird. We're going to come back to that. Yeah. Okay. Um, so he goes to her and he's like, listen, I'm going to betray Asgard right now and tell you that Thor has been banished. And so, as you know, that means he has to go down this road alone or something like that. He's defenseless. Now's your chance to gather your people and attack and kill him. And she's like... And he's like, and if you do that, you know, can you have the Mary with me? And she's like, ah, we'll talk about that later. Um, So anyway, Thor's going down that road and they all attack him. And he goes like Greek style, kind of like goes between these two caverns so he can ride his horse faster than they can because they all get bottlenecked kind of in this crevice, in this mountain. He pulls his horse through. Um, Oh, no, he makes it into this little cave and then he pulls his horse through. And then it turns out he was never actually banished. It was all a ruse. They knew that they were just trying to like beat Norda and gather all her troops and stuff. So what he did is he led Norda inside this crevice into a into what was basically like a, a clearing that was surrounded by mountain. And he popped 
or Thor pop through the uh, escape hole and they all kind of spread out looking for him and only to find that, you know, the entirety of Asgard is like sitting there waiting to capture them. So they surrender and everyone goes, oh, we knew Odin wasn't mean and we knew Thor was awesome. And um, she's mad at Arkin because, you know, he screwed her over the end. And she never once shows any affection for him. No. Like, he's doing all of this, and she's like, okay, whatever, dude. Thanks. Yeah. But, um, oh, he's just a little, you know, the classic slithering weasel guy. Right. Who, he's mastermind, and he, she is not having any. Well, oh, except he probably loves that she's mean to him. You know? Right. That's just one of his things. Does the fact that he's Loki's cousin even matter? Well, it makes me wonder how that works exactly if Loki's not as guardian, but. Well, yeah, Loki is like the son of a wolf or something and a giant. Yeah. So how is know. he a cousin and how is he in Asgard? But I, yeah, it didn't matter. I, I actually wondered why it couldn't just be Loki, but maybe except maybe for because the, there's a fate given to them at the end because he's like, I don't know. Yeah, like, except for that part. Enslaved or imprisoned or something. Yeah, that's not really Loki's thing to be obsessed about a Norda. Um, so it mentions that Norda is the normal sized queen of the mountain giants. Wouldn't normal size for a mountain giant be giant that's one way to look at it, or another way to look at it is how can you be queen of giants if you're normal sized i don't think the giants would listen to you and all the, also all the people attacking don't seem particularly giant either no they don't and if they are a giant and she's normal size not put too fine a point on it but how are you going to make heirs yeah good point how did she become a normal sized giant I don't know. It's very. It's a very questionable situation. Where do I get a T-shirt that says "Normal Size Giant"? <laughs> should we? Uh, should we see what Gene Gene the Podcasting Machine has to say? Let's let him tell us how accurate this is. Well, this is our Asgardian advisor, uh, uh, the podcast or of the Hammer Strikes podcast, and um, he writes that this story reminds me of a couple of things. First. There's the episode of the Adventures of Superman TV show Clark Kent Outlaw, where Perry fires Clark as a ruse to help him infiltrate a gang of diamond thieves. Mm. Pretty much the same idea here, except it's Loki's cousin. Wait, Loki has a cousin? <laughs> <laughs> he says in parentheses, is that like Bruce Wayne's uncle? Yep. It's, uh, it's Loki's cousin that goes to the enemy drawing them out. The, uh, the second thing it reminds me of is the wooing of Rendir where Odin knows that he must impregnate Rindir in order to produce Valley and avenge Baldur's death. Unfortunately, his trying to charm her in various ways doesn't work, so he ends up raping her. Mm. When Odin returns to Asgard, though, his wife and fellow gods meet him at the gates to tell him his act was too heinous and he is banished from Asgard. Wow. Odin does actually go back to power, though, because his successor, Uller, is incompetent and he's overthrown. Okay. Um, but otherwise they made this say, up. Yeah. I was going to say, it doesn't say anything about the accuracy of the story, which makes me think that this is just not an actual story. Um, just to throw this out there. He also says, also, I guess Michael Bailey and Scott Gardner were wrong. At least one person doesn't hate Norda. Um, Norda is a DC character in the all-star squadron. She also goes by Northwind. And so he's just making a joke there and he says, I'll see myself out. Okay. I'm wondering, so I, I, I imagine since he put in parentheses, Loki has a cousin that we never see Ark in the week again, but I don't know. Oh. I've never heard of I would, him. I never have either. I'm on the chronology page. That's under a quick, uh, quick searchage. And he gets arrested and it says they're going to be in prison for life or forever, eternity, whatever they say. 
Right. But then so is Loki. Okay, this is... Um, Arc in the weak. I love that that's his thing. What's your power? I'm weak. Uh, well, he's not even showing up in Google, so like he must be nothing. Right. Arkin. Or I spelled it wrong. I did. Maybe you spelled it wrong. I did spell it wrong. Arkin. There he is. He has Alondia. three appearances. Has he really? I'm trying to load them right now to see what they are. They are Journey into Mystery 109, which we read. Domination Factor, Avengers Volume 1, Volume 2.4. That was that one series that had, like, points on their numbers. Yeah, he's 2.4 and 3.6. And 3.6. So that must be, like, Asgardian history issues or something. Yeah. I don't even know. I've, I've seen that series around. It stands out because of the weird numbering. Um, but I have no idea what it's about. Well, 3.6 has Loki encasing Thor in trees and stuff. So that's probably the one that really has some Asgardian uh, stuff going on. Okay. Yeah, he's only in a couple of panels of 2.4. So. Yeah. All right. Um, so does that move? Does that does that resolve our Thor? I think our Thor is done, and I, f- I feel like I want to be astonished now. Okay. Well, good because I have some tales oh. to astonish you. Sweet. Yes, Giant Man and the Incredible Hulk in Tales to Astonish sixty one. See the Hulk captured at last, and see Giant Man now walks the android. Nice. All right. So Giant Man and the wonderfully sidelined Wasp. <laughs> um, oh, I'm sorry. That's not exactly what it Spoilers. says. Now walks the android. Written by Stan Lee. He's getting to... What's that? I was just saying spoilers. Yeah, spoilers. Written by Stan Lee. He's getting to be a habit. Editor's note. We had announced that another artist would draw this strip, but circumstances beyond our control caused a change in plan. With Dick Ayers on a brief vacation, Steve Ditko quickly penciled Stan's script while George Bell inked it seconds before deadline time. Our sincere thanks to them both. Dee 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 dee. Okay. okay. So Steve Ditko did, did, does the entire issue because he has a Hulk story too. Mm-hmm. All right. So Giant Man and the Wasp are showing off for some kids in like an orphanage or something or a hospital, hospitalized kids, because you know. They're cool and charitable like that. Meanwhile, um, some police drive by with their sirens going, wee-oo, wee-oo, um, because Egghead has escaped from jail. And he makes his way down to an underground laboratory, completely equipped, which he has maintained for emergencies such as this. And he is determined to get his revenge on Giant Man. So he creates this um, living cell beam that can turn lifeless dolls into movable objects that respond to his mental commands. So he then goes to a store and he like steals a clothing mannequin with his vibration ray, which he then turns into a weight reduction ray. So he can like float it uh, to his house like those weird ghosts in that one Fantastic Four issue. Um, realizing that it's against comics code to have a naked mannequin running around, he covers it in red clay to make it look like a monster. Um, and then he, uh, it's, he uses his enlarging beam to make it 12 feet tall. He uses his Android beam to make it follow his commands, but he also stands in front of it to like really strongly imprint his own brain on the Android. Um, and yeah, now he has this android that he can, like, command to go and fight Giant Man. Meanwhile, Giant Man and... I'm sorry, he's not Giant. So Hank Pym and Janet are flying around this brand new spectacular converter car they have, which looks like the dome from a top of a building with a little steeple on it, 
only turn sideways and flying, you know, so the steeple's pointed forward. Um, they go and they're, they're hanging out in their house. They're reading some letters. No letters from the Avengers today, but they do have an invitation to go be on TV. And Jan's like, dude, you should do this. This will make you famous. You can start making some money. And he's like, I'm just doing my science, Jan. She's like, no, 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 you're doing this. So he goes, uh, puts on his giant man costume, goes with Jan to the appointment, but it's a creaky dark room he goes into and um, the door slams behind them and then a metal wall slams down and then they start hearing Egghead talking over the intercom and this giant android comes in the room and so Giant Man turns giant and says, okay, Wasp, you go over there because this is going to be dangerous. And so Wasp is like, okay, I'll go over here and not be important to the story at all. Um and they fight, and they fight, and they bicker, and they fight, and they fight, 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 bicker, 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 and they fight all they want until Giant Man gets it into his head. Well, okay, at one point, Janet does pull out her wasp sting and, like, zap him in the face. That's, like, the one thing that she does in this entire issue. Um, at one point, Giant Man gets it in his head that Egghead must be seeing and hearing everything this android sees and hears. So maybe he can also feel everything the android feels. So he picks up the android by the foot and starts swinging him around in a circle, hoping that Egghead will get dizzy. And guess what, kids? It worked. So he flings the android against the wall. He and Jan go home. The android, all discombobulated, just walks until they can't walk anymore, i.e. it falls in the ocean. And, um, and that's basically it. We get this one last panel of Egghead, like... Uh, fearfully waiting for the police to show up, but he forgot that they don't know about his equipment laboratory that he keeps for emergency situations such as this. So I don't think he's getting arrested anytime soon. As I was reading this, I was thinking a lot, like every page, like, isn't this only supposed to be half the book? Because it just felt so long. It did feel long. Conversely, the Hulk read very fast for me. It's really kind of a simple plot. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. It goes, it goes longer than it should, and it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Oh my God. Talk about, um, talk about Egghead just suspending, forcing us to suspend our disbelief like eight times in this science montage of his. Right. Like, how many different gadgets is he going to use to make this stupid purple monster? And why is he and, a gadget guy now? And why is he the puppet master? Right. He has the gadgets. He's like the puppet master. And I just read a later issue from from the Fantastic Four that has the thinker in it. And the thinker, since he has that awesome android, mm-hmm. he calls himself the master of androids. Mm. So, so um, he's all those things. Egghead. Yeah. Yeah. And and he gets stolen by the TV show, put on the Batman TV show. Yeah. But at least that one has a theme. He, Does he? He's he, eggs? Yeah, he throws eggs. So at least it's just more like on point, I guess. <laughs> um, we last saw Egghead in issue 57, the one that had Spider-Man in it. Oh, yeah. Um, there was not anything notable about how he ended there. He just, you know, lost and got arrested. Um, so here he's no longer arrested because he got, got away. I like um, I liked the little uh, continuity mention that Giant Man uh, treated his fan club badly last issue so that's why he invited them to this school demonstration this issue yeah that's pretty cool that is kind of cool because you don't get that a lot in 64 and giant man the wasp entertaining the hospitalized kids with an acrobatic show because they don't know of any better way to entertain kids so i'm guessing that telling stories was 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 out 
Well, I sure wouldn't mind seeing like Giant Man and the Wasp going around changing size and jumping around and stuff. That sounds cool. That's true. I just figured that Jan's done that a few times. And I wish the magician would have joined in. <laughs> I legit thought that was supposed to be somebody. But, the magician. But it's just like, I guess, a guy presenting to the school, like the principal or something. Yeah. He just looks like a, a, a Zatana or Zatara or whatever his name is. So, since Egghead has lost every fight and gotten immediately arrested, I legitimately was wondering, when did he have time to put together this underground laboratory? And so I went back and looked through some Egghead stories, and I figured it out. Okay. When we meet Egghead, he has been selling secret sciences to evil people because he works for the U.S. government. So I'm thinking that while he was being a bad guy in the U.S. government, that's when he could have set up a secret laboratory to hide in case he ever got caught. And then he just didn't go there <laughs> Well, at that time. More to your point, since he loses to Giant Man every single time, at what point do you call it a, you know, call it a day and stop trying to get vengeance? Like, this, yeah. this keeps ruining your life. It's not working. Do something else. Because now he's not even about getting money. No. If he wanted money, he has that floaty gun float all the cash registers away. Because he breaks into a store and steals the clothing mannequin. Yeah. No, he wants to destroy Giant Man. That's his only goal now. Yeah. To what end? I don't know. The first half of the story I liked more than the second half. I liked the creepy and kooky when they're going to the room. I liked stuff with the kids. Mm -hmm. Um, But the big, red, lumpy android. Yeah. So he's he's basically the vision before we get the vision. Because his power is that he can either be really solid. Like when you punch him, it's like hitting a brick. And Giant Man finds that out by breaking his hand on him. Or he can float around. So he does. Is it bad if I didn't even read that that closely? I didn't even realize that was happening. So he didn't. He doesn't phase, but that's why Giant Man's able to like swing him around because at some point he tricks him into floating again and then grabs mm-hmm. him by the foot. Um, so it's kind of weird. It was a stupid character, um, and it kind of makes no. Also, there's this whole back part where like they're also running out of oxygen. Yeah. And uh, I thought, well, you know, if you listen to Wasp and turn to Ant Man, wouldn't you have a hell of a lot more oxygen? Like, I don't know how that works, but. If you don't have a lot of lung, do you need a lot of oxygen? That's, that's a very, very good point. But instead, he's giant, and so now he's sucking all the oxygen out of that room. He's breathing a lot, eight times as much. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know how you see TV? Mm-hmm. And you know how you hear TV? Mm-hmm. And you know how you feel TV? <laughs> Not yet. Someday. <laughs> there is no logic to this ending. Well... like. Egghead is monitoring everything this android does. Therefore, he must also feel it. I mean, they do set that up when he's creating the monster, but that's not logical to me either. Why would you create a robot that you could feel get hurt if you want him to go around punching things? Mm-hmm. So I think Egghead says that too at some point. Like, I'll be able to feel everything you feel. It's like, well, that's a bad decision. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't know how Giant that's Man bad. knows that. You're right. And also... I don't know why Egghead can't just take the thing off his head when he's feeling dizzy and let the oxygen run out and they just die. Because he lets them out. He lets them out because he's like, I can't take this dizziness anymore. Meanwhile, the oxygen was just about done. So take the helmet thing off and just sit back. He'll be dead. So I think we've probably beaten this one to death. Yeah, sorry, Giant Man fans. I'm not enjoying it. No. Um, Only uh, that's our ninth from the end. The letter pages. Because I already forgot I was going to do that. They're called... Males to astonish, M A I L S, and while right. and did I and while we're at it, just uh, Thor is called the Hammer Strikes. That one's pretty good. 
Oh, that is good. Hey, I know a podcast by that name. Yeah. Different hammer, though. Mm. Okay, so The Incredible Hulk. Yay. Captured at last. Produced by one of the greatest teams in comics. The incomparable Stan Lee author. The inimitable Steve Ditko illustrator. The indescribable George Bell inker. And the inevitable S. Rosen letterer. I am inevitable. That's a good one. It's like, Stanley can't be compared with anyone. Steve Ditko can't be imitated. George Bell can't be described. And Sam Rosen can't be avoided. <laughs> He's going to happen. It's, it sounds good, but it's kind of an insult, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just, just a bit. Um, okay. So we get a little bit of recap from last time uh, about how there was this big giant robot that... Uh, um, What's his face? Banner. Bruce Banner had designed. Mm-hmm. It had gotten stolen and controlled by some other person whom we haven't seen yet. And the fought with the Hulk, threw the Hulk off the side of a mountain. Hulk turned back into Bruce Banner and got away. And the robot went off to be his own self. Now, Robot goes into a cave and just chillaxes for a while with his scientific knowledge. He can construct a crude missile powerful enough to destroy the nearby American rocket base. Uh, Meanwhile, Bruce Banner is just kind of working on stuff. He created the robot, so he needs to find a way to track it down. So in his lab on base, he is working very hard to find a way to catch this robot. He's doing everything he's supposed to do. And then he overhears in the hallway, because he's working with the door open, he overhears the arrival of a new officer. This is Major Glenn Talbot, who has arrived... And his first order that he gives is to keep Bruce Banner under surveillance. And Bruce hears this and skadooshes away. Uh, Talbot reports into Thunderbolt Ross and um, about how, you know, the Hulk has been in the area. There might be some connection with Bruce and the Hulk. Um, he's here to investigate Banner because the the, uh, the Pentagon has gotten Ross's reports. And they're like, yes, Banner seems suspicious. You should investigate him. And then Talbot sees Betty and is like... Hello there. Is it me you're looking for? And um, Bruce, Betty's like, no, I was looking for Bruce. And he's like, yes, but um, wouldn't you like to show me around base? Beautiful. And she's like, um, Dad, I was going to talk to you. Yes, yes, yes. You should go with Glenn Talbot and you know go around the base. And she's like, <sighs> fine. So she shows Glenn Talbot around the base. And uh, they go to Bruce's laboratory, but he is not in his laboratory. The Guard's like, yeah, I came to watch him, like you said, but he was already gone. Um, so then Bruce is like out in the mountains um, trying to find the robot with his robot finding device. Um, there's a helicopter that sees him climbing the mountains with his robot finding device. Bruce finally sees the robot and he's like, oh, that's the robot. I've got to stop him. How am I going to do that? <gasps> and then a startling transformation occurs. Bruce turns into the Hulk when everyone's looking the other direction and the Hulk jumps up and starts beating up the robot. Rocks start flying everywhere. A rock almost hits Betty, but Glenn Talbot takes the brunt of it with his back and his shoulder because he covers her from the, from the collision. Um, the robot and Hulk punch each other. Um, the robot punches Hulk down. Uh, there's a, a, a missile that he has uh, created to launch at the base. The Hulk sees the missile take off. He leaps into the air 
while he's leaving it, leaping into the air, of course, the robot gets away. The Hulk punches the missile so that it does not strike the base. However, the impact is enough to knock the Hulk unconscious. So he lands on the ground and Todd was like, dude, it's my first day on the job. We've already caught the Hulk. So he calls Big Daddy back at the uh, base and Ross is like, yes, great. I'm going to get people out there. So they get out there. They tie up the Hulk with these really thick, flexible steel cables that Dr. Banner developed and Tony Stark had made. And um, they basically, they tie the Hulk up to this machine and they're not super clear what they're going to do with it in this issue. Um, but the Hulk wakes up and he starts straining against the, the, the bonds. At one point, I remember that Talbot was like talking to Ross that like, is there a connection between Bruce and the Hulk? And how is Betty going to react if, if she finds out about this? And it was kind of weird. So we're going to talk about that in a minute as well. But, um, what'd you think about Hulk chapter two? Still fun. I liked it. Um, the robot did not get away. He got punched down a convenient bottomless pit. So the one thing I don't like is we never find out who this robot is. And I have a feeling we never will now. Oh, I seem to remember who the robot is. There might be something else going on there. Okay. Well, there was this bottomless pit that the robot almost punches the Hulk in. So he decides to instead punch the robot in because he can't hurt him. So he might as well just throw him in there. And the Hulk and the robot says, no. And then we never see him again. Okay, I could be wrong, but I have a memory of who that robot guy was. Okay, cool. So we might see more of that. I hope so, because they kind of gave us a built-up of, like, I wasn't sure if they were building us up or just didn't want to bother with an identity. One of the two. Right. He could just be a generic Um, spy. I can believe Ditko would leave a mystery bad guy for a few issues, because he's totally doing that now. Mm -hmm. I don't believe Ditko would just throw that away after two chapters. I I feel like that's unlikely. Okay, well, he's not dead. He's just falling. So maybe he climbs out or something. It can't actually be bottomless. The first page of this issue has thrown me off the last couple times I've tried to read it, because it looks like you're picking it from a cliffhanger, like a literal cliffhanger. Mm -hmm. But it's actually a recap. Yes. But having the other issue at hand and nearby, I was able to go back and compare. We're like, okay, we're just getting the last few events over again. Yeah, it's like a splash page recap. Kind of weird. Yeah. Different. Major Glenn Talbot. All right. So I saw your Twitter on this, and I heard your 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 not impartial summary. I'm going to say I agree with you. Glenn Talbot becomes like the Eddie Haskell of the uh, – you know, Hulk universe. But I don't know if he deserves it yet. He seems pretty straight in this to me. I just think what bothered me in this is that it is obvious from the get-go that Betty is attracted to the man he's here to investigate. And since that man is not on hand, Glenn moves in on Betty. Does he, though? Yeah. No. Yeah, he does. I don't agree with you. The, the very first page, when they see each other. The he very says she's pretty. Is, yeah. Yeah. That's it? It's rare to find such a beauty on a mere military base. I know how you valuable your time is. You know, I wonder if your daughter would mind showing me around the well, base. Well, if you read it like that, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> and then, Miss Brand, I'd now like to view the surrounding terrain for the air. Would you care to join me in the helicopter? Or, I guess, if he if he's saying it that way. But, I don't know. I just didn't read it that way. I don't know. It's just a bruise, Betty. If I may call you Betty. Yeah. That just seems polite. No. Yes. I'm not it saying he's not attracted. By the way, bruise. I'm not saying he's not attracted to her, but there's nothing to say he can't be attracted to her. And I don't know. 
I don't know. I just didn't see him as swarmy yet. He didn't. He didn't seem like he was being under underhanded or anything. Okay. Well, in that vein, on page nine, mm-hmm. the last two panels, mm-hmm. your daughter was quite friendly with Doctor Banner, wasn't she, sir? Yes, blasted. I never could understand what she saw in him. If it should develop that there's a connection between him and the Hulk, and I don't know if he's like that, she could be in trouble. Concerned about Betty's reaction, or yeah, she could be in trouble, but also like maybe he'll be out of the way. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. I, I think this is all just because we know he's going to be a jerk like that. But he seems just kind of straight right now. I do wonder, like he says in the beginning, I've studied all the records of Bruce Banner's career, and I'm convinced that you're right about being suspicious of him. And I'm wondering, are all the records provided by Ross, or are there other records that don't help his case either? Because I guess you could argue he doesn't finish a lot of projects, or he disappears a lot. <laughs> yeah. Or I don't know. I don't know what the records are. But is he being biased or uh, does he genuinely believe that Bruce Banner, for some reason, is a problem? If there's some sort of cumulative folder, which there probably is, then it probably includes everything from before he was assigned to this base. But definitely while he's assigned to this base, things have been bad. Mm -hmm. And that's a couple of years now. Yeah. If anything, I think her dad is, of course, a huge creep for farming her onto him because he's hoping that she'll like him and stop caring about Milksop Banner. You are definitely right on that account too. Yeah, right? that's that's yeah, just yeah. that's just creepy to me. Dad is being a bad dad. Yep. Um, page four. Okay, so Bruce is up there looking for the uh, the robot, and um, in the helicopter, it must be Bruce Banner. He's always conducting experiments in the hills, and that sounds like a story that Branner has told her in order to explain his absences from being the Hulk. Yeah, that probably makes a lot of sense. I didn't catch that. And, um, I like that she's on to him. Like, I know you're not fooling me. I'm sure he wants to see if he can, if I can help find traces of Banner, you know, this helicopter ride. Right. So, like, does that mean she's going to try and – she doesn't really try and sabotage him, though. She's like, oh, there he is right there. So, but, met, you know, towards the end of this issue, she's also wondering if she should even like Banner because it's like, uh-oh, what if uh, I'm picking the wrong guy to throw my heart at? What if they're not wrong and he is some sort of weird saboteur or something's wrong with him? It's, it's a genuine concern. If the government is sending extra personnel to investigate the man you love, mm-hmm. and the man you love seems to be kind of odd and secretive and weirdly absent a lot, yeah. I would be asking questions too. Yeah. Um, Banner designed the Hulk bonds. I thought that was an interesting yeah. point. I was wondering about that. Like, what was the conversation there? Or what was the intent of those things? You know? Like, because he's done the cave thing, kind of like a werewolf, you know, you don't want to lock yourself up during a full moon. Was he planning to put these bonds on him? Like, because he doesn't turn by night anymore. Was this back when he was turning by night or how does this work? And he didn't even actually build them. Like, he just came up with the idea and then Tony Tony Stark manufactured them. But I imagine that's, that's um, because he's just a scientist who can't ask, you know, hey, can you make these Hulk bonds? Like, right. but he could ask Tony because Tony's an Avenger or no, he's not. Wink, wink. But... You know, he knows an Avenger. Who knows an Avenger? Well, he, And he makes weapons for the army. Yeah. So that's probably... So he has resources and everybody just asks him to waste his money. Right. Because this is not the first time that tonight that that's happened, is it? Or am I wrong about that? I feel like we read the same thing earlier. Maybe not. What's that? The, the Tony Stark made something for someone? Yeah. I don't know. I forget already. Seems like they just throw Tony Stark's name around a lot. Yeah, I don't know. I can't think of what it would have been. Daredevil or Thor versus Magneto. I can't think of anything. Or Giant Man. Oh, Giant Man's new um, uh, car. Oh, yeah, his new uh, converted car. Yeah, Tony Stark Stark made that that for him. 
You're right. Which to me looked like a wasp needle. They should have called it the stinger or something. But oh, that would have been great. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So Tony Stark just makes everything because he has unlimited wealth, I guess. Has Betty's hair color changed? It looks a little gray to me in this or light, mm-hmm. light brown or something. Like they're trying to go for like a dark blonde or light brown or something. Yeah. But it's definitely a gray color. It's weird. Yeah. And they do the whole thing at the end where he's struggling against his bonds and his heart rate is continuing to build and increase, which means he could be changing back to Bruce Banner at any second. And it's like, uh, still not there yet. Which is lucky for him they're not there yet because any other Hulk issue, when the Hulk is knocked unconscious by a missile, he would have turned to Bruce Banner. Mm. And instead he stays the Hulk and they find him and go, oh, we've captured the Hulk. And, you know, it would have been more awkward to find Bruce Banner with purple pants in the middle of the desert. It's just kind of awkward to find somebody with purple pants anyway. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, it is a really weird – it really is a weird concept that the Hulk, if he gets upset, he turns to Bruce Banner. Like, how would that even work? He's always upset. That's kind <laughs> of his thing. Definitely, that's his brand. But yeah, All right. a cool cliffhanger. Another cliffhanger. Are they just going to do one every, every story? The Hulk story is basically a serial from this point on. Yeah. It's going gonna, it's gonna to kind of go from one to the other. It might occasionally wrap up plot points, but basically expect this to be an ongoing Hulk saga in the back. Cool. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm enjoying um, it. Captain America becomes that too after a while, uh, just because it's an ongoing Captain America story. Well, they first have to establish that he's the weakest Avenger who always wins. So they do that like eight stories, I think, <laughs> if I recall. Yep. Attack Cap- yep. A Cap- Captain America because he's the weakest, so we can handle him. And then they can't. They do that a lot. All right. Well, shall we wrap this baby Let's up? Let's wrap it up. All right. Well, I have some names out there in the land of the Twitters that I would like to call out as thanks for people who have followed us. Um, <clears throat> we have recently been followed by another comics pro, David Gallagher, uh, the writer of Only Living Girl, High Moon, Green Lantern, Ubisoft's Ghost Recon, the co-founder of Bottle Lightning, the co-host of uh, At Four Love Comics. Um, he is following us on the Twitters. Benjamin at Excelsior73, lover of all things silver and bronze. Thank you for the follow. JW Green at JW Green4, the co-host of the Hero Talk podcast at Hero Talk Show. Self-published offer and a civil servant born in the Bronx. Um, <laughs> there is a Twitter handle called Every ASM Ever. It is at EverASM. So right. they're following us. Cool. And finally, Dan Rubinson at Rubinson underscore Dan comics and wrestling fans. So thank you very much for the follows over on Twitter. We always appreciate uh, support through uh, mentioning us or retweeting our episodes. Thank you very much. Where can they uh, where can they find us? Well, they can find us by going to makearsmarvel.com. That has a website that we run. That uh, has all the links to the ways you could subscribe. So RSS links and iTunes links and Stitcher links. Um, it also has links to social media. So you could follow us that way and get updates every time there's a new episode out on Friday. There's always a new episode out on Friday, though. So that's another way. And you can email through that website or directly podcast at makearsmarvel.com. All right. And we have had some likes over on Facebook. I just want to see when the... Who the last person was that I mentioned? I'm having trouble figuring that out. Okay, so I want to say hello to uh, David Thor Mortensen, Sean Sullivan, Mark Davis, Peter Fluitt, and David Bretter. Oh, and Mark Rain Hamelin. 
for liking or following us on Facebook. Again, sharing us out there and, and, and mentioning us in your circles is always, always appreciated. Um, I can be found at John Reads Comics uh, on Twitter. I have several other projects I work on. My Image Comics podcast, at All the Pouches. My Super Sentai podcast, at Silly Sentai with my son. My Transformers podcast, at TFUK podcast. It is cooking. We'll be launching this fall. And uh, apropos of this episode, my Scarlet Witch tweet blog, which is at Let's Talk Wanda. Um, so those are all places you can find us and find me. And uh, yeah, Mike, what should they be reading for, for next okay, week? Okay, your homework assignment, kids. Another three issues. We've got Sergeant Fury number 11, where they have to deal with a uh, mentally unstable captain. So if you like the drama of the Doomsday Machine, this one's for you. Uh, Strange Tales number 126. We've got more... Uh, the deadly duo of the Mad Thinker and the Puppet Master and Doctor Strange meets the Dread Dormammu. Ooh. And then lastly, we got John's favorite, The Amazing Spider-Man number 18, which is the second part of, I don't know, a trilogy maybe of Spider-Man quitting, but he also has to figure out how to fight the Sandman who sock- stalks the city's streets. Yes. Yes. Second part of that trilogy. Very exciting. All right. So until next time, or until Magneto finally beats Thor with the Iron Giant. Make ours marvel. <laughs>